Okay, so we are going to be talking tonight about wrong thinking and how that affects our expectations. So actually, it's funny how just things in everyday life just come up. And so this morning, Craig and I were discussing the fact that we need to go on a date because it's actually been quite a while since we've gone on a date. And I know what all you young ladies are thinking. You don't have kids at home. Why do you need a date? <laughs> You're together all the time. Why do you need a date? Because we're always working. We're always distracted. So we need to be able to go on a date so that we can actually like focus on each other. So in prior to this, two weeks before Christmas, I was sick. And then for a whole month after that, he was sick. And then we were out of town. And then we came back and life was just crazy. So that's what we're thinking. Okay, well, we need to go on a date. So then we're like, oh, Valentine's is this week. Well, that's great. This is what Craig says talking about expectations okay this well anyway he says well valentine's is this week just letting you know it's going to be a fail this year <laughs> i just cracked up because i was like i don't care anyways but i just thought that was funny because this week is just not a good week for us to celebrate valentine's we have things going on every night of the week and so that's just how it is so as you guys are thinking about valentine's coming up this week what are your expectations. If you're married, you probably maybe have hopes that your husband will sweep you off your feet, plan an evening out, maybe even an overnight getaway if you're really lucky. <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> maybe you're looking forward to chocolate and flowers. Maybe you'd just be happy if he acknowledged it was Valentine's Day and told you that he loves you. That's all, right? <laughs> Just that he knew it was the day. <laughs> perhaps, if you're on the other side of that, perhaps Valentine's is a painful reminder to you that you aren't married. You had expected to be married by now, or at least have a someone in your life you could celebrate with, but that hasn't happened. So how you think about Valentine's is going to influence your expectations. If you think wrongly, worldly, unbiblically, your expectations, of course, are not going to be biblical, and you are likely going to end up responding in sin when your Valentine's expectations don't go how you thought, thinking here, remember we're talking about thoughts, how you thought it should go. <clears throat> so, okay, let's just think for a second. What does our culture condition us to expect? For Valentine's. See, this, this, this all just works so nicely into our expectations, right? Okay, so what does our culture condition us to expect for Valentine's? Well, for one, we should be loved by somebody, right? So this is why this is painful if you don't have a somebody or you're not married, because the whole world expects that you should have a somebody. We, it also conditions us to think that we should get some form of a gift from that special somebody, right? We should get chocolate or flowers or something, something they thought of us. We should be told we are loved by that person. At the very least, they should at least say happy Valentine's and tell us that they love us. And oftentimes we think we should go out on a date with the one who loves us. And we could probably go on and on and on with other expectations as well. But this is what we are told. And we are a room here of girls with Valentine's in two days. So, what if your husband forgets? What if you don't have a special somebody? How are you going to think rightly about it so that you don't end up 
with a sinful heart or a sinful response, a sinful attitude. All of those things that I just mentioned, being loved, getting gifts, being told that you're loved, going out on a date, all those things can be good and right. They're not wrong in and of themselves. In their proper place, with the proper understanding, the proper thoughts, those things can be good. But when we think we deserve them, or we should have them, or we ought to get them, what happens when we don't? Then our hearts, our responses, our attitudes end up in sin. We are disappointed at best and sinfully depressed, angry, bitter, etc. when we don't get them. And if you've been married a lot of years and your husband continues to forget and not pay attention and you have expectations every year and you're disappointed year after year after year, then what happens? It, it does become a source of bitterness. So if your husband doesn't do anything for you, let me ask you this, is he sinning? No, he's not. If he doesn't remember, is he sinning? No, there's no biblical mandate that a husband should remember Valentine's. But yet, what do we hold them to so often? We hold them to it as though it was a biblical mandate. So when we get upset, who's the one sinning? Them that forgot or us? It's us. That's because we think wrongly. We think worldly about Valentine's. It's a really good application two days before. So I told Craig years ago, going back to this little thing that this year is going to be a Valentine fail for us, it really doesn't matter to me because years ago, as I was working through that as a young wife, uh, I told him, I said, you know, honey, I would rather have you be a husband that loves me all year round by working hard and that I would rather have a husband that is loving biblically as opposed to my worldly expectations about what love should be. So if you aren't married, is Valentine, um, Valentine's is hard to keep a right perspective when the world makes it look like you can only be happy when you have someone to love. But biblically, we know that isn't true. If you aren't married, you are right where God has ordained for you to be, and you can love and serve him and find joy and be content where he has you. It doesn't mean that you don't want to be married. But the desire for marriage doesn't control you to the point of responding sinfully because you are thinking biblically. And this is the whole point of where we're talking tonight is how we think. What influences our thoughts? If we think like the world, we are going to respond sinfully. And I know we, I, I feel like I say that every time I teach, but it's just so critical. And I hope that I'm going to be able to communicate that to you tonight as we look into the various passages of Scripture. So one of the reasons we fail to think right thoughts is that we fail to think at all. That may sound like a bit of a shocking statement. If someone asked you if you had thoughts, what would you respond in saying? Well, of course, yeah, I think. I might respond back and say, I know you have thoughts, but do you actually think? So we're going to define our terms so that we're all together here. 
Uh, and what I did is I went to Webster's 1828 because that's where you're going to get your most solid definitions, right? <clears throat> so I'm only going to read two. He has nine, nine definitions actually about thinking, and I'm only going to read three of them. So the first one I'm going to read is he says, to think is to muse or to meditate. The next one is to reflect, to recollect or to call to mind. And then the, the third one I'm going to mention is he says it's to consider to deliberate, to think how this thing could happen. So when I ask you, do you think, I'm wondering this, do you muse? Do you meditate? Do you reflect? Do you consider or deliberate? So do you take time to intentionally consider and think about things? So why is this so important? And the reason is because, of course, we know throughout Scripture that we're told to think. So A on your outline is Christians must engage their minds to think. And this comes from Philippians 4.8, which I know is, is some, a verse that we all know. We've probably even memorized it here before. But I'm going to read it to you anyways because I want you guys to be able to track with me where I'm going and the importance of thinking. So Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is anything excellent and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. If you look in the King James Version, it actually says, think on these things. So that word dwell, if you look at the original language, it means to consider, to take account, to weigh or to meditate on. So all these things that I just read to you from Philippians 4.8, we are to be considering, meditating on, thinking about. So the first one is true. We need to be thinking about what is true. So even as that applies to something as really silly and frivolous as Valentine's, we need to be thinking meditating on, considering what is true about the holiday, I guess, or whatever we want to call it, of Valentine's. What are the biblical truths about Valentine's? And is the way I am thinking a biblical way to think about it or a worldly way to think about it? So number one on your outline, the Christian is instructed to consider, to meditate, to muse, or to think. Every Christian must learn to think and learn to think deeply about God, themselves, sin, motives, obedience, and on and on and on. Paul begins his list of things to think about with what is true. As we know, scripture is the basis of what is true. Everything that we experience, everything that influences us, every so listen to this list very carefully, okay? So, everything that we experience, everything that influences us. Think about all the things that influence you all day long, all throughout the week, all throughout the month, the influences. Every new idea, every message we read, we listen to, every Instagram post, everything that, or sorry, literally everything, we need to learn to measure it against the word of God. Not just a fleeting, quick thought, but pondering, considering, 
meditating on and evaluating whether the things that pass through our minds are true or from the world filled with lies. It's one or the other. It cannot be both. It has to be one or the other. Are we considering what is true and what is not true? Because if we are thinking things, thinking that they're true and biblical and they're not, what's going to end up happening? We're going to end up in sin and we aren't going to know why. We aren't going to know where it's coming from. And girls, this is where we live so much of the time. We have embraced and imbibed so much of the world's way of thinking that we end up sinfully responding to so many things because we have not stopped to think, to consider, is this thing true? And all day long, every day, we're having messages come at us. It's really hard to keep up. And you think right now, going back to the Valentine's thing, I'm kind of wearing it out, but every place you go right now, what do you see? You go in the grocery store and there's these huge displays of, displays of flowers and there's red and pink and there's balloons and it's just everywhere you look. You see it on billboards, you see it on, on all kinds of social media. Valentine's is a really big deal to the world's way of thinking. But is it a big deal to God's way of thinking? No, it really isn't. But how many of us have sinned over some form of wrong expectation toward Valentine's? Unfortunately, many Christians fail to engage in the exercise of true, deep, biblical thinking. Instead of musing, considering, or meditating, they simply accept what they are told. They accept the messages that pass before them without contemplating whether or not they are right and true. They are exposed to ideas, they accept the ideas, then they act on the ideas. But they fail to consider if the idea is even right in the first place. Perhaps one of the greatest dangers is when someone purports an idea that claims to be a Christian and then supports it with a verse, right? People, and I would say even here, our defenses come down when it's a Christian person saying, oh, we should do such and such, and then they tag a verse onto it, we're like, oh, that's safe because it's got a verse. It's Christian. But have we thought about it? Have we considered it? Have we meditated? Have we taken it truly to the word of God? And if we haven't, then we don't know truly if it's a right and true thought from scripture. So did you know that our culture is designed to keep us from thinking? Absolutely and totally designed to keep us from thinking. One of Webster's definitions of think was to muse, if you remember. He defines it as deep thought. So then I, I went and I looked at, muse was one of the definitions for think. So then I went and looked and see, okay, so how did you define muse? So this is how he defines muse. Deep thought, close attention or contemplation. So what happens when you add a as a prefix to muse. What do you get? A muse. Muse means to think or meditate on some subject. The letter A used as a prefix renders a word into its negative form. Amuse means to hold the attention of someone, entertain or divert in an enjoyable manner. Amuse then basically inhibits musing. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Because what is our culture geared to do? 
amuse us, entertain us everywhere we look. What was yesterday? This is not a wrong thing if you watch the game, but I'm just saying, there it is. Everywhere we look, something to entertain us, to distract us, to keep us from thinking. So if amuse is, if muse is to think, amuse is not to think. Rather, it is to be entertained. We live in a culture that is designed to entertain us, to keep us from thinking. This is not by chance. This is all part of Satan's plan. Entertain us, amuse us, so that we cease to think. If we don't think, we won't consider our spiritual condition. If we don't think, we won't evaluate our hearts to discover our sin. We won't anticipate the glory to come when we are in the presence of God. So then we lose hope in the midst of the difficulties that we face because we're amused to death, we're entertained to death, we're distracted to death, and so we don't keep that eternal perspective. We won't consider the eternal need and, dest and destination of those around us. So what happens to our boldness in sharing the gospel or our even concern for those around us that don't have the gospel? To live a life of amusement or entertainment is to live a life with an anemic, weak, and feeble mind. It's really kind of in our face, is it not? Very convicting when we really think about it. But thinking takes work. It takes time. It takes intentionality. Since having been trained to be a counselor, this is something that is constantly something that I'm thinking about. And okay, so I'm a counselor, but that is not anything different than any of you guys ought to be as well because we all need to be thinking about about everything all the time evaluating evaluating considering so if ever you guys get the opportunity i would highly recommend at least going through the counseling class if they do it as a sunday school class again go through it because it teaches you how to think it teaches you how to consider the things that that um, we are exposed to in our culture that the messages that are coming as the way that we approach life is it biblical is it not and basically all a counselor a biblical counselor does is they look at the circumstances and ways of thinking that a person is going through or considering and then they take it to scripture and go okay here's what scripture says so we need to take and align those things to scripture all a counselor is is somebody that knows the Word of God and helps people line their life up to the Word of God. But that's what we all need to be doing every single day. I'm so thankful for the counseling training because it was so helpful as I was raising my kids because I was able to look at things and go, no, that's not biblical, that's not right, we're not going to do that, we're not going to participate, that's a wrong way of thinking about things. They didn't always appreciate that. But it was helpful because I was able to evaluate. We all need to be able to do that. So I recently saw, well, I guess it was a little bit ago, I saw this commercial from Adobe <clears throat> uh, that starred Billie Eilish. At the end of the commercial, she leaves you with this concluding and telling thought. So this is basically just an example of considering and evaluating the message. Is it true? So she, they do the whole commercial, and it's all about Adobe. You know, you can create stuff. That's the whole point. So at the very end, she says this. Now create what's true to you. Okay, so in Adobe, 
when you make your little things, well, maybe that's your little truth to you, but where is that coming from? What is that message? Is that a true statement? Is it even possible to create our own truth? No. Would you have recognized this as a false statement? Or would this statement just be added to all such similar statements that lead us to believe that we can create the kind of life we want? Now, let me ask you this. Here's how you decide, or you, you decipher is a better word, whether or not you have embraced this idea that you should have the kind of life you want. Is your life everything you want it to be? Are you happy with it that way? Are you content with it that way? Because if you're not, you have to look at that statement and go, in one way or another, I have swallowed that to some degree or another. But that's what our world is constantly promoting. These kinds of subtle statements that we, that we need to think about, we need to measure them against scripture and then dismiss them as lies. This is why we have to be able to consider, to meditate, to think, because we have to recognize the difference between truth and lies. To fail to think to intentionally measure everything against scripture means that we will fail to think rightly. And if we fail to think rightly, we will have wrong expectations that will result in sinful responses. So number two, Christians must discipline their minds to discern good and evil. So Hebrews 5.14 says this, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna again give you a couple of definitions here so that you can uh, grasp a little more fully what this passage or what this verse is saying. So it says <clears throat> solid food, which is deep biblical um, doctrine, theology. Uh, solid food is for the mature Christian is what they're saying. So why, why is that the case? Because of practice, that word practice means habit. So because of their habits, they have their senses. Senses means faculty of mind for perceiving or understanding. Essentially, it is referring to the mind. So because of habits have their mind trained to discern good and evil. Well, that word trained right there is the exact same word that we get from 1 Timothy 4.7 when it says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So what are we supposed to be doing? Disciplining our minds. The word, the Greek word is gymnazo, and that's the word where we get our English word gymnasium from. It's the idea of exercise, sweating, working out. Um, so what we have here is it says that through habits, the mature Christian has trained their mind, disciplined their mind so that they are able to discern good and evil. So if we look at this verse then, what's the flip side of this? If you are not a mature Christian and you have not trained your mind, then what is the problem? You cannot discern good and evil. That is a very concerning place to be. Because as Christians, we have to be able to discern between good and evil. And is our Bible study talking about being um, our expectations 
then we need to consider, are we able to discern? Because if we can't, what's going to happen to our expectations? And if our expectations are based on what is evil, then we're going to sin. And the thing is, remember, Satan disguises himself not as an evil, ugly, bad guy. He disguises himself as an angel of light. So he makes evil look good so that we will be deceived. So then we think we're choosing what's right, but we're actually choosing what is evil. So here's what we need to ask ourselves. Have we trained or disciplined our minds to discern good and evil? Have we trained our minds to evaluate our thoughts to determine if they are good or evil? If they are holy or sinful? If they are motivated by a desire to please God or a desire to please self? There are several things that influence our thoughts. Desire, which can be good or bad. Desire isn't necessarily always bad. And I'm just giving you a couple of things here just to think about. So things that influence our thoughts. So desire, experience, different experiences that we've had, maybe years ago, maybe recent. And influence, which, you know, that's just all kinds of stuff throughout the whole world. How often do you discipline your mind to consider whether your thoughts are aligned to the truth of Scripture? So I'm going to give you another example here from my own life. <clears throat> years ago, some of you are going to be a little familiar with this, but I know there's a lot of new gals here as well. But we started a class actually here at Grace when my girls, I think Sierra was 14 at the time and, and Caitlin was 15, pushing 16 maybe. We started a uh, class that was kind of a biblical home ec class. We combined practical instruction for, for future homekeeping with biblical instruction geared to teach young women how to fear the Lord and honor him with their lives. So if you guys are familiar with Rare, that's where Rare came from, from that class. So I remember teaching through the various characteristics of the excellent wife from Proverbs 31. I was surprised that none of her character qualities or homekeeping duties included keeping a clean home. I was all prepared. Like in my mind, I had like come out with my little like, you know, list of things I was going to be talking about. And so then as I got studying through, I'm like, where's the verse on clean? Surely it's here somewhere. <laughs> I could not find it. And I was so appalled because I realized that I was taking my own ideas and basically trying to insert them into scripture very dangerous. We teach an LBI. That's a big no-no when it gets to studying scripture. I had never engaged my mind to truly think about this, this idea of cleaning through study or researching scripture. And as a result, I almost taught something that was not in the scripture. Praise the Lord, I was actually studying the scripture to discover it wasn't there. <clears throat> what I realized through this experience was that I had formed habits and patterns in my life based on expectations that had grown out of an assumption that cleanliness was godly. Because I had never engaged my mind to think through this idea, I had formed wrong expectations which, read, which led to wrong living. And I'm going to explain how this all kind of fits together. So it had always been very important to me to keep a clean house. I grew up in a very clean house. My mom was very clean. My sisters are very clean. So in my mind, clean was really important. 
So when we first got married, I loved to clean the whole apartment in one day. I always placed the task of vacuuming at the very end of the list. This was very important. So that the lines left in the carpet would stay undisturbed when I was done cleaning. <laughs> Obsessive, right? I can't even believe that was me because after four kids, obviously this was before any children. So after four kids, like a line and a carpet, what's that? <laughs> we're, we're happy if, if even a quarter of the carpet gets vacuumed. <laughs> <clears throat> so this was so important to me that when Craig came home from work, I would ask him not to walk in the living room and disturb the lines. Yeah, this is bad. See, I make you guys feel so good about yourselves, right? <laughs> in addition to this, when we had children, so it gets worse. When we had children and the house was constantly in a state of less than clean, no lines at this point. I felt discouraged and like a failure as a wife and a mom. My expectations were formed on a false assumption gleaned from other people's ideas, not because I had engaged my mind to truly think biblically about keeping a clean house. Based on my experience and what I had heard others say, I thought keeping a perfectly clean house was an absolute necessity. I formed an expectation that I had to keep my home perfectly clean in order to be considered a good wife and a good mother. Now I am not at all saying that a dirty disorganized house that results from laziness is acceptable. So I'm not saying that, you know, the, the other side, we're not pendulum swinging here. Okay. <clears throat> the excellent wife does not eat the bread of idleness. She works hard to perform the task of keeping her home. However, apart from the old Testament law, there isn't a direct command in scripture requiring a certain level of cleanliness in, in your home. My wrong thoughts regarding how to keep my home influenced my desire to keep a perfectly clean home, which in turn influenced my expectations. When my expectations were unmet, it resulted in a sinful response. When my house was not as clean as I thought it should be, I became frustrated, discontent, discouraged, and I worried about what other people thought of me, the fear of man. My wrong thoughts that were not based on actual biblical thinking on my part led to wrong desires, then to wrong expectations, and finally to sin. So you can see how it, the stages, and how you finally get to really responding sinfully. Something as silly as making sure that your house is clean. I had somehow picked up somewhere along the line wrong influence that I felt like that was my duty. But what are the things that are influencing you guys in a similar way that you have never stopped to think about? Is this biblical or is this not? And that's what we're all seeking to do is to bring all of these wrong ways of thinking into the truth of scripture so that we think so that we can think rightly about it. I failed to look to scripture for truth and ultimate authority. My argument was simple and shallowly based on my exposure to other people's knowledge, which may or may not have been accurate according to scripture. In this case, it was not. Our expectations are influenced by what we think about, but it is important to consider why we possess the thoughts we have. Are they based on our research, study, contemplation of scripture's truth? Or are they based on the influence of other people's ideas and opinions? One of the reasons we struggle with having right expectations is because we have failed to think 
in the first place. We just kind of take whatever is coming our way and we just go with it because it sounds good in the moment. We have simply imbibed what other people have told us, accepting it as truth or as fact. The, re the result is that we become conformed to the world. So number three on your outline is guard against being conformed to the world. <clears throat> so Romans 12, 2, and this is another verse very familiar to us, but again, just by way of reminder so that we're kind of all following the same, you're seeing where I'm getting this from scripture. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So it says we are not to be conformed. Well, what exactly does conformed mean? And probably a lot of us already know what this means, but in case we don't, it means to conform oneself to another's pattern. So basically making ourselves fit into somebody else's pattern, essentially. And specifically, like as an example, is a person's mind and character. So that's, that's a little bit more fuller meaning there. John MacArthur says this, this refers to an outward expression that does not reflect what is within. It is used of masquerading or putting on an act. So what does that have to do with anything? Why would it be masquerading? Why would it be pretending or acting? We as believers are not to be conformed to worldly thinking because that is not who we are. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as such, our mind and our character must not reflect, excuse me, uh, must not reflect the mind and character of those in the world. Our minds and thoughts should reflect that of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is informed by the word of God. Worldly thinking that is influenced by Satan, the liar, the murderer, the enemy of our souls, is when we, when we think like Satan, when we think according to the world system, we are conforming ourselves, masquerading as somebody that we are not because we are children of God if we are true believers. So how do we keep our minds and character from being conformed to the world? Well, obviously we know from our passage that we have to renew our minds. And John MacArthur provides another good explanation here. He said, it is in the mind that our new nature and our old humanness are intermixed. It is in the mind that we make choices as to whether we will express our new nature in holiness or allow our fleshly humanness to act in unholiness. So we remember what's going on, what scripture says. We have a battle going on, right? Between the flesh, which is the sin that remains in us. We have the battle between the flesh and the Holy Spirit of God that comes to reside in us when we become Christians. And this is these two are going head to head, conflicting, battling. So we need to be renewing our mind, which means a renewal or a renovation, complete change for the better. That's who we are always striving to be. That's why we want to think rightly, because we want to be who we actually are in Christ. This is accomplished when we exercise our mind to think on the truth of Scripture. Spiritual stability and spiritual maturity is attained as we dwell on the Word of God and measure every influence in our lives against it. 
when we simply imbibe and accept the influences around us, whatever it is, we allow ourselves to be conformed to the world. And the thing is, this happens all the time and we don't even realize it's happening. <clears throat> How much time and effort do we spend thinking, considering whether or not our thoughts are worldly or biblical? Does it wear you out even to just think about this? <laughs> this is a big, huge task. We have a lot of work to do. We can't just skate through life thinking we can be a Christian kind of for free. No, we have to get some skin in the game. We have to work hard, work out your salvation, we're told. It requires work and effort. What things have you assumed are true or are biblical that actually aren't? Like my idea of keeping a clean house. Do you have certain ways you live that make you feel? Feelings are always a problem with us girls, right? Do you have certain ways that you live that make you feel more godly than others when scripture doesn't specifically address it? Have you picked up ideas from sources who promote ideas that may be worldly? But because you have not engaged your mind to think deeply, you are unaware that it is not biblical. So why, why is this so difficult? Well, obviously it requires a lot of work, right? So why do we struggle to think? Well, again, because it's a lot of work. To deeply consider whether or not the things that influence our minds are worldly or biblical. So what I want to do in the last little bit of our lesson here is, um, if you guys have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn to 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. And again, this is another um, very familiar passage, but this is a very powerful passage. And as I was studying, I actually um, listened to John MacArthur's sermon on this passage. And if you can listen to it, I would highly recommend it. You can just go on the website or on the app and look up uh, his sermon from 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, I think is what it is. Um, but we're just going to read three through five here. But I've got a couple of quotes that I'm going to give you from that sermon that he said just to kind of help us here. And there's a lot to be said here that I'm not going to say, but hopefully I can at least um, whet your appetite just a little bit for the truths that are here. So starting verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, meaning our physical bodies, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not physical, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So ultimately, we can't trust our own thinking because... Our own thinking, if we are not careful, naturally veers toward worldliness, ungodliness. So B on your outline then, based on this verse, is we are in a battle. And number one under that, the battle is spiritual. We are in a spiritual battle. The whole life of the Christian is a spiritual battle against sin and against everything that is against God and his will. We wrestle to engage deeply in thinking because we live in a world controlled by a supernatural enemy 
who has developed a culture that is designed to keep us from thinking. And I already mentioned that earlier. Our culture is designed to keep us from thinking. But this is really critical and important as we start to look at, at this passage here. And in case we do think at all, so he, our enemy, Satan, wants to keep us from thinking. Hence all the entertainment and all the distraction. So just keep us from thinking, first of all. And if we do happen to think at all, then he has filled the world with all kinds of lies that look enticing, okay, good, and even right. So that when we do think, we are thinking wrong thoughts. We are thinking worldly thoughts. This battle for the mind cannot be fought with fleshly or physical weapons. We cannot fight with our own human capabilities because our battle is not fought in the physical realm. Because we have to realize our battle, well, Ephesians 6, 12, right here, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is not in the physical realm. It is against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But if you stopped to think about the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on for your thoughts. And if we try and fight these things with worldly ways of fighting things, positive thinking, for instance, well, positive thinking can be helpful to a very short degree. But is it really useful against changing our hearts, truly changing our thoughts so that they reflect Christ? No, they absolutely are not. This battle for our minds has to be fought with divinely powerful weapons. John MacArthur says this, The God of this age is the one who controls the thoughts. So he, he likes lists in this sermon. <laughs> so my quotes actually, he's got quite a lot of lists here. So anyways, this is kind of a lot of lists. So just listen to all the things he says. He says, the God of this age, he's referring to Satan, is the one who controls the thoughts, the ideas, the opinions, the ideals, the maxims, the hopes, the impulses, the aims, the goals, the views of the current world. He is the one who reigns in the world's philosophies, in the world's psychologies, in the world's education, in the world's commerce, in the world's labors, in the world's sociology. In every enterprise, Satan is the monarch because for a time God has given him the position of being ruler of this world. Have you ever stopped to think about the seriousness of what we're up against here and why it's so critical that we consider the thoughts that we're thinking? Our battle to think rightly is a spiritual battle. That means that our human efforts alone are not powerful enough to win. They don't possess the power, the wisdom, the knowledge, or the ability to conquer the powerful forces of wickedness apart from God. The only way to overcome wrong thinking is by using the weapon that God provides, which is divinely powerful for its destruction. Alone, we ourselves are no match for the enemy of our souls. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, right? Our enemy is no match for the powerful, supernatural weapon that God provides. 
So what is that weapon? Well, number two on your outline, the weapon is the word of God. Ephesians 6, 17 says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is our only offensive weapon in the spiritual battle that we're in. This is why we need to study the word. And I know, I feel like I say this over and over and over again, but it's absolutely critical. We have to know the word of God. We need to know it, understand it, understand it, rightly interpret it, memorize it, meditate on it, and seek to obey it. It is your only offensive weapon in the spiritual battle for your mind and your thoughts. If you do not know scripture, if it does not guide you, you are without a weapon with which to fight. We are in a spiritual battle against spiritual forces in the heavenlies, against darkness. And we think that we can fight the battle for the mind apart from scripture. How often are we in scripture studying it, meditating on it, learning it? And when we, when we truly evaluate our, our hearts, we can get kind of a good feel for how important it is and how much we really truly understand the battle that we're in. Because if our time in the Word is really minimal, we don't have any idea what we're up against. We don't truly understand the significance of this battle that we're in. Because only with Scripture can we truly fight this battle effectively. But to know it, you must read it, study, meditate, understand it grammatically, contextually, so that you have the right interpretation of it. Interpretation is very, very important. Lots of applications, one interpretation. If you understand it wrongly, you will live it out wrongly. If you misunderstand scripture, you will not live in a manner worthy of the calling in which you were called. You will not be pleasing to the Lord in everything, and you will not be an example that others can follow because you've been led astray by thinking like the world thinks. You've been conformed in your mind to the, the world's way of thinking. So I do know that this is not really new information, but I'm not always sure that we grasp why this is so important. The deception, the lies, the powerful influence of the enemy in the world is so great that there is only one way to conquer it, as I just said. If you truly want to think, and not only think, but to think with discernment regarding good and evil, you have one option, one way to do it, and that's through knowing the word. There is only one way to conquer the powerful snare of the enemy, and that is through the word of God. Satan wants you Listen carefully. Satan wants you to have wrong expectations. Why? Because if you have wrong expectations, you will be sinful. And you will not be pointing other people to Christ with your life. You will be living under the weight of sin. And that's exactly what Satan wants. The only way to escape is by knowing, understanding, and obeying God's word. Scripture is the only thing we possess that is powerful enough for us to overcome the world system in which we live. And girls, when I say everything, I mean everything. All the messages that we get on social media all the time, how to eat, where to go, should I have vacations, all these things, all these expectations that we have 
that come at us all the time. How to, how to birth a baby, how to raise an infant, how to train a toddler, how to potty train, how to school your children, whether to go to college. Like, I'm telling you, all these things. The world has an idea and has an explanation for every single one of them. And they are bombarding you all the time, every day, all day long. Are you able to look at them and go, not true, not true, not true, not true. This is the word of God and this is what I prioritize and this is what I base my life on. It is absolutely critical in every decision that you make. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is critical. Because if we don't know the truth and we do not measure the things that we are thinking about according to the truth, we will think wrongly. And we do it all the time without knowing it. That's the scary thing. Because we're so conditioned to thinking like the world. And then when we're conditioned to think like the world, we are conditioned to have expectations that the world says will make us happy. And what ends up happening? We have unmet expectations. And we're disillusioned with life, we're disillusioned with relationships, we're disillusioned with circumstances, and ultimately we become disillusioned with God. And it's all because we never looked in his word in the first place to see what his true plan was. We don't know what it says. It's so important. So number three, scripture is supernaturally powerful to destroy fortresses or worldly thinking so second corinthians 10 3 through 5 again i'm just going to read um verse 4 i guess for the weapons of our warfare is not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses so again i'm going to give you definitions here destruction here is a noun and it means demolition figuratively uh, it really means like pulling down. So it says that, um, so essentially it's talking about the word of God is divinely powerful for the destruction, for pulling down of fortresses. Well, what in the world is fortresses? It is anything on which one relies. So it's whatever the world relies on, the arguments and reasonings by which a disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion. So a fortress, essentially, is worldly thinking. This is not mildly harmful, like I already said. Sometimes we tend to have the idea that worldly thinking is not right, but it's not really all that bad either. But as I already said, it's absolutely deadly, and that's the whole point. Fortresses that are being referred to here in our passage are all the various secular reasoning that unbelievers use to defend their position. And they don't just defend their position because that's what they like. They're defending their position against God. It's active. It's things like evolution, Mormonism, Catholicism, Buddhism. But it also encompasses whatever they rely on to make life worth living, to make life better, to give life purpose, meaning, value, to give them hope in the afterlife. So even as we think about Valentine's, to give life purpose for the week, meaning for the week, a little enjoyment for the week. 
John MacArthur again says this, all spiritual warfare is aimed at smashing the fortresses of human reasoning against God. This is very important to understand. In some cases, it's religious, like some of the things that I just said, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Roman Catholicism, Hinduism, Buddhism, animism, forms of religion all over the world, even liberal Christianity. These are all fortresses, ideological fortresses set up against the true knowledge of God. On the other hand, it can be non-religious. It can be forms of naturalistic, humanistic, evolutionary philosophy and psychology. Yes, if you noticed, we've said psychology a couple of times. It is a worldly system of thinking. That's why biblical counseling does not use any form of psychology. So imagine what a fortress is like. It is a stronghold designed to keep enemies out. It is usually built with rocks and stone. You can imagine in your mind what a fortress is. These huge, big walls, super wide, super tall, all rock and stone to keep the enemy out and to protect those that are inside. The Apostle Paul is explaining that all of these worldly systems of thinking have been raised up against God like a fortress, guided by the rule of this world to deceive everyone. The only thing that can destroy these fortresses of thought is the word of God, like a trebuchet that hurls that massive boulder penetrating the stone fortifications. Scripture penetrates the fortresses of every system of wrong thinking, shining light into darkness and bringing truth where only lies prevail. So see on your outline, how do we think rightly? And number one, we destroy thinking that is raised up against the knowledge of God. So I pointed out before that verb, that verse destroy, when I gave you the definition, I said it was the verb. So here in this, it's the same word, only the verb form of the, of the word. So it's the same thing, meaning to pull down. So we, I got to go back up to my verse here. We are commanded to destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. This is what we as believers are supposed to be doing. And what are speculations and lofty thing? Speculations are a reasoning such as is hostile to the Christian faith. And lofty thing is everything elevated in pride against God. So MacArthur again says, Scripture indicates right here that our war, so I'm going to try and help you kind of see, I'll explain in a minute if it seems a little confusing what he says here. But he says, Scripture indicates right here that our war is for the destruction of fortresses. Further, they are defined this way. So if you look back to verse 5, take the word and. So it says speculations and every lofty thing. So that word and can mean even which means it's a further explanation of the, th the same thing. So it helps us to understand how it's translated. So it says, we are destroying speculations, even every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So he says, that's what a speculation is. It's everything raised up against, every thought raised up against God. He defines it right there. Every concept, every opinion, every reason, every philosophy, every theory, every ideology, every thought that is against God is what a fortress is. So basically we have fortress 
and the only thing able to destroy the fortress of thinking, worldly thinking, is the word of God, divinely powerful. What is a fortress, this wrong way of thinking? It's speculations and every lofty thing raised up. So you can kind of see how they're all kind of, um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyways, same meaning. Drawing a blank on my, thank you, synonymous, there you go. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so how do we destroy them? by countering them with the truth from the word of God. We must renew our minds with the truth of God's word. So number two, we need to bring our thoughts under control of obedience to Christ. So essentially when our passage says we need to take captive our thoughts, it means we need to bring them under control of scripture. We are to bring our thoughts under the control of the word of God for the purpose of obeying Jesus Christ. To accomplish this, it requires discipline. We must be willing to turn off the TV, set the phone aside, turn off Spotify, and learn to discipline our minds to think, to consider. Evaluate your priorities. Do they reflect the mind of Christ? How do you know if they reflect the mind of Christ? Could your priorities be improved? What is the main priority in your life? Do your priorities need to be rearranged? Again, how do you know if they need to be rearranged? Because you have to compare them to scripture. So consider for a moment an area in your life where you would say that you wrestle with sin. What wrong thinking needs to be brought under the control of Scripture so that you can be obedient to Christ? So as you think through this, maybe just as by application here, maybe make a list of three sins or even just pick one that you wrestle with. It could be anger, impatience, unforgiveness, harsh words, fear, worry, anxiety, discontentment, all kinds of different things. But pick something. Whenever we see sin, we can be assured that there is wrong thinking that leads to wrong expectations. In each of these situations, what worldly knowledge, assumptions, heresy are your expectations based on? So I would suggest choosing one of those things and making a concerted effort to think rightly about it. And I say pick one and go deep. Like, do word search on Blue Letter Bible. What does scripture have to say about worry or fear or discontentment or being content? Whatever it is. And truly dig into that and find out what does God's word have to say about this? How can you change your uh, misinformation, wrong assumptions, ungodly desires, if you don't engage your mind to do the work of research, study, and consideration? to discover what the right way of thinking really is. And the only place that we can do that is going to scripture. So my encouragement is to all of us as we continue to think about expectations is really understanding this is is not a situation where we can just casually continue to go through life. We have to engage our minds. We have to think, we have to meditate ponder, consider. And I know, especially for those of you that are at work all day long, and then you've got commitments in the evenings, and and those of you young mommies that have children at home, time to think can be really 
difficult to find. But what is your main priority of your life? What can go, what needs to go so that you can learn to think rightly about life, about the influences that are, that are coming your way? So with all of that, let's pray and we'll be done.